Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see those of you who are here in the auditorium and uh, want to welcome those of you who are visiting uh, this service today by uh, way of streaming or a podcast in whatever way that you're a, a part of the service today. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation to come to be here today at Waynesville Baptist Church, and it's my prayer that the service today will be a blessing to you. I know these are difficult days for a lot of people, and uh, my wife and I were talking this morning, man, we should be glad when things sort of get back to normal, and we can go to church on Sunday and all of that, and it looks like uh, at least we're starting to open things up again, and we're glad for that. Glad the Lord's still on the throne. He's going to get us through this. But I know a lot of people have been uh, going through a difficult time. And uh, uh, it's my prayer that the Lord will just sustain you and encourage you if you're one of those people that's having a difficult time because of uh, what's going on in our country. Uh, I, for one, I'm glad that they're going to open up the barbershops this week. If they don't get the barbershops open, uh, they're going to be a run on bobby pins, I think. But uh, uh, it's good to see uh, people opening things up, and uh, I trust that uh, the worst is behind us and that, uh, you know, it just makes us realize uh, how sensitive things can be that life can change in a moment. Life can change in a moment. And uh, what really matters is not the material things. What matters is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because this life can end. The Lord could come at any moment. And uh, so uh, it's a good reminder for that. I want to invite you to turn with me this morning uh, in your Bibles. If you have a Bible and you're... Uh, sitting at home and you have your Bible handy, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter, the first chapter. I want to read two verses and then I'll pray and we'll get into the message. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the scripture says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I want to speak to you with the Lord's help this morning on God's wonderful salvation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you today for the privilege to be together in this service. Thank you for each person who's listening in today. And it's my prayer, Lord, that if there's someone listening today who does not know the Lord and the free pardon of sin, that the Spirit of God would visit them and draw them uh, to the Lord. We pray someone might be saved as a result of this service. So now we commit it to you. I pray you'd help me to say those things that you'd have me to say. And, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. 
First Peter and Second Peter were written by the Apostle Peter uh, near the end of his life and probably written from Rome. And he wrote these, uh, these two letters to people in Asia Minor in an area that we would call Turkey today. And he wrote this to people who were being uh, persecuted for some re in some way for their faith. And so Peter, realizing his time perhaps on earth is not long, he writes to these people to encourage them in their faith. One of the things that he talks about in 1 Peter is that we shouldn't be surprised if we're serving the Lord when uh, persecution comes. He says, uh, think it not strange concerning the, the fiery trial which is to overtake in you. And, and so he encourages them in spite of their suffering to stand fast uh, in the faith. He also refers to these people as strangers or pilgrims. It's important to remember that our citizenship isn't here in this world. It's in heaven. And so he is reminding them of that. Uh, they are strangers here in this world, but we're going to see he calls them elect uh, in just a moment. The other thing that he talks about as he goes through the book of 1 Peter, he talks about how that we are to keep in mind that one day the Lord is coming. And you see, if you're going through a difficult time in life, I think it's very important that we remember that at the end of this life, Jesus is coming and there's glory forever for the person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ. Always important to keep in mind that heaven awaits us after this life is over. And it seems to me that ought to encourage anybody who's going through a difficult time. Now, while he talks about all of those things, as he is getting started, just right off the bat, Peter talks about salvation. I mean, just verse 2, bang, gets, starts talking about this wonderful salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to point out three things that I see in verse 2 uh, in uh, our time together today. Uh, first of all, Peter uh, tells us our salvation was planned by God the Father. Our salvation was planned by God the Father. I want you to notice uh, he uses the phrase elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now when he's talking about salvation here, he is talking about it strictly from God's point of view. And he tells, he used the word elect, which means to pick. The idea is that out of all the people in the world, God chose some for himself. He uses the same word, the same word is used in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, where he says we are chosen. And then you see Peter using uh, the word foreknowledge. When did God choose or when did God elect some to be his? Well, he did that in eternity past. He did that before the foundation of the world. He chose in eternity past that some would receive eternal life. 
Now, let's consider what that means for just a moment. First of all, it means before Adam sinned in the garden, God had a plan. You see, when Adam sinned, God didn't say, oh, no, what am I going to do now? I've got to have some kind of a spiritual band-aid. I've got to have some kind of a quick fix. No, that wasn't the, the, a problem because the Bible tells us in this same chapter of 1 Peter and verse 20 that Christ was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God made anything, our salvation was so important to him that God had salvation planned. He had it in mind it's always been God's plan that Jesus would come into the world to be the Savior of the world. That was in place before anything was made. And so uh, when Adam sinned, it wasn't a problem. And then when God called Abraham and he said, In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed, it was because God had a plan. You see, he said he's going to bless him. He's going to make his name great. But when he says, in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed, he's talking about the fact that through Abraham would come the Savior. Now, keep in mind, the Lord is talking to a man whose wife is barren. He has no children. And it will be 25 years after God makes this promise and Sarah's actually going to be too old to have children before she has Isaac. But God says, in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And he said that because God had a plan. You see, Sarah would give birth to Isaac, and Isaac would give birth, he would father Jacob. And, and Jacob would become the father of 12 sons and those 12 sons would become the head of the Jewish nation and through that nation, through the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ would be born. So when Isaiah prophesied 700 years before it actually happened that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, it was because God had a plan. And when the virgin Mary gave birth to her son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. It was in fulfillment of God's plan. And when Jesus Christ was taken up to Calvary, and there he, was, he laid down on the cross, and they nailed his hands and feet to the old rugged cross, and they hung him up between uh, uh, earth and heaven. He hung there, and he bled and died in fulfillment of God's plan. People came and they begged his body and they took it and they laid it in a borrowed tomb. Oh, but on a Sunday morning, there was a shaking and the stone rolled away and Jesus stepped out. The stone didn't roll away so Jesus could get out. It rolled away so people could see in. Amen. And Jesus came forth victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he did so in completion of God's wonderful plan for our salvation. Let's think about a few specifics of God's plan. First of all, it's a singular plan. You know, if there were several plans, churches would probably 
if they, let's say, there were four plans, I'd take one a week. And we'd talk about one plan one week and another plan another week and another and, and, and cover all the plans and say, you choose the plan that works best for you. Listen, there's only one plan. Jesus said, I am the way, the true, the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me, except by me. There are not multiple plans. There's one. There's a singular plan. And then it's a simple plan. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, that is so simple that even a child can understand it. Even a child can understand their need of salvation and they can understand that Jesus Christ loves them and died for them and they can open their heart and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm glad today it's a simple plan. But it's also a segregating plan. Notice he says, uh, in uh, Ephesians 1, 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. You see, sin does have to be paid for. The reason we need to be saved is because we're sinners. And you know, the only we need a substitute. We need a substitute. We need someone to pay for the sins that we have committed. And Jesus Christ is that substitute. He is the one that God chose. And the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It is, it's not enough to belong to the church. Now, I believe in church membership, but I do not believe that belonging to the local church will get you to heaven. I don't believe baptism will get you to heaven. I believe in baptism. But I, you, as the old saying, you can be baptized till the tadpoles know your name. That won't get you to heaven. It takes the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so in a world filled with religion, you see God's plan is a segregating plan because it focuses on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then his plan is a sanctifying plan. Notice the phrase in verse 2, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, he says that we should be holy and without blame before him. Salvation cleans us up. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that comes into our heart and changes us and makes us obedient. And you see, without that work, we can't. There is an initial work of sanctification and there is also an experiential work in which God continues to work day by day in our heart. So it is a sanctifying plan. I'm glad God had a plan for our salvation, aren't you? That God the Father in eternity past, He planned for your salvation and for mine. Which brings me to my second point. 
in verse 2, we also see that our salvation was paid for by the Son. It was planned by the Father, but it was paid for by the Son. Notice the phrase, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Now, Peter wanted the people to whom he was writing to understand there was an extreme cost for their salvation and for yours and for mine. You see, our salvation required Jesus' blood to be shed. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, he says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb slain without blemish and without spot. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ hung on the cross. And he hung there six long hours. And as he hung there on the cross, he not only suffered the abuse of men, God in heaven poured out his wrath on his son. I believe that Jesus Christ suffered the equivalent of hell for you and me. And he hung there six hours, and before he died, he said, It is finished. The price for sin has been paid. And he gave up the ghost. The Bible says that one of the men standing by took a spear and stuck it in his side and out flowed the blood of our Savior. And I believe it is because of Jesus' death and the shedding of his blood that you and I have the ability to be saved today. His death made salvation possible. But you see, it's not enough that Jesus died. It's not enough that his blood was shed. His blood has to be applied. We notice this principle throughout the Old Testament. In fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 12, uh, where the Bible talks about Israel's exodus from Egypt, you see the symbolism. They were told on the tenth day that every family needed a lamb. And they were to observe the lamb for four days. It was to be a male in the prime of its life. And they were to observe it to make sure it had no blemish. And see, on the evening of the fourteenth day, they killed the lamb and they caught its blood in a basin. Now the Lord had told them that on that night at midnight, the death angel would pass through the land. But he told them, you see, it's not enough that you have a lamb. It's not enough that the lamb was slain. The blood needs to be applied. And there was a plant called hyssop. And they took a piece of that plant and they stuck it down in the blood and then they went over to the door and on the side post they put the blood and then up on the lintel over top 
they dipped it in the blood and they applied the blood and the Lord says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The blood had to be applied. The blood had to be applied. You also see blood cleansing the leper when it was applied in Leviticus chapter 14. If a person had been leprous, there was a manner in which they approached the priest and he went out and observed them. And if he was found to be clean, he had two turtle doves and uh, a piece of cedar and, and uh, crimson. And it was mixed together somehow. And, and the person who had been a leper, they took hyssop and, and they sprinkled him with the blood. And you might see someone coming into camp that you knew before had been a leper, but when you saw the blood, you knew this person's now clean. This person's now clean. It was also used in Exodus chapter 24 at Mount Sinai. You remember there, Moses was uh, with the children of Israel and he had received the Ten Commandments and they entered a covenant with God. They agreed that they would keep God's laws. And because of that, Moses took blood. And I suppose the people passed by, but he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. He sprinkled it on the people to seal the covenant with Israel. And you find oftentimes in the Bible, hyssop, which is a plant, was used to apply the blood. But it's not the hyssops that's important. That's just an instrument to use. What's important is the application of the blood. And you see, today we don't use hyssop to apply the blood. Today, the blood is applied by faith. It is by believing that Jesus Christ died for us and that if we ask Him to, that He will forgive us. Romans 10, 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad one day I called and He saved. And He saved me. And at the moment I called, He Wash me in his blood. The blood was applied to my heart by faith. There's a song that says, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is still that way today, but I'm glad that when people come in simple childlike faith and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. By faith, the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to their heart and their sins are forgiven. And so Peter's told us, he said, God the Father planned for our salvation. And he says that Jesus Christ paid for our salvation. Which brings us to a third point this morning. Our salvation was performed by the Spirit. Notice the phrase, sanctified by the Spirit unto obedience. Now, without the work of the Holy Spirit, I, I tell you, I, I think if God the Holy Spirit did not pursue us, that you and I would be content to live 
and die in our sins and go to hell. I believe it is because of what God the Holy Spirit does that anybody ever gets saved. You see, I don't think, man, I think we're content in our sins. But we hear the gospel and God the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and he works in our heart. Before we're saved, he convicts us. We hear the word and he convicts us. I remember as a boy, I, I grew up in church. My parents got saved about the time I was two weeks old. My dad got saved. Uh, my mother says she went to church and she's sitting there and she's looking at the preacher up on the platform and, and she said, I bet he can't preach. And that night, God just tore her out of the frame. She got saved that night. And his two-week revival, the very last night of the revival, my dad went. And he got saved. And that changed their home. I grew up in church all my life. From the time I was two weeks old, we've been in church. Been in church. And you see, he convicts. I remember a time when I wasn't right with the Lord. And I, I mean, growing up in church, you know, you, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and if there was a revival within 50 or 75 miles, my folks thought we were supposed to go to that too. And they didn't have one-week revival. They didn't have these little three-day things. Oh, no, it was all week and a lot of times two weeks and sometimes three. Folks said, what's that? But that's how I grew up. And I remember going to church and I wasn't right with God. And they didn't sing two verses of an invitation. Man, they might sing two songs. I mean, I'd be standing in the back holding on the pew, sweating bullets because God was dealing with me. I knew I was not right with God and he was dealing with me. I remember laying in my bed one night and thinking, if I die tonight, I'm going to hell. Because God was working in my heart to convict me of my sins. And then he convinces. He convinces us that God loves us. He convinces us that Jesus died for us. And then he calls us, he implores us to come to Jesus Christ. I'm glad one Sunday night I said yes. And I walked the aisle and received God's gracious forgiveness. I remember many years ago, I came home from college. My father was a pastor for 70 years, a preacher for 70 years. He was pastoring a church in northern Virginia. And, uh, you know, I got home from college and uh, Bible college, and there were some visitor cards where some people had visited the church. And one lady asked someone to visit her husband who is unsaved. And I asked my dad, I said, has anybody made this visit yet? And he said, no, don't think so. So um, I had a partner, uh, Brother Roger, and uh, he, he was a great guy. Now, we'd make appointments and we'd go, and listen, if you let him in your house, he's going to take that Schofield Bible and he's going to go through the plan of salvation. And we had been making some visits that day and and it was on a Saturday, and we went by uh, this guy Marion's house. 
and, you know, long hair and beard and all that, and he sat there and he would act it, uh, like he didn't care a thing about what was going on. But before we went in, Roger says, uh, I want you to do this, this time. And you know what? I made the big, you, you can't mess up the plan of salvation anymore than I did that evening. I'm going to promise you. Made the, uh, he probably laughed when we left. I mean, I made the biggest mess. I was so nervous trying to talk to him about Jesus. But you know what? A couple of weeks after that, here comes this guy into church with his wife. He shaved his beard. He's got a haircut. And he's wearing a suit. And you know what? He started coming to church every Sunday with his wife. Now, I'm not saying that everybody does it that way, okay? But he started coming to church with his wife. And I remember one Sunday morning, he came to church and God was dealing with him, had been dealing with him for some time. He did not respond. The service closed and he and his family went and got in that little station wagon and headed back down to their house. But you know what? When he got in that car, the Holy Spirit got in there with him and was working on him and you know what? Halfway home, he turned the car around and he came back to church and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and he draws us to the Lord Jesus Christ? And then at salvation, he converts us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, we talk about salvation. Our part is believing. But when we talk about regeneration, that is solely the work of the Holy Spirit. And I can't explain everything he does, but the Bible says that somehow he comes in and he makes us new. He makes us different on the inside. And we who have been alienated from God, suddenly he changes us, he gives us life, and he joins us to God. He joins us. And then he takes up residence on the inside. Aren't you glad for the work of the Holy Spirit? And he writes our name in the Lamb's book of life when we get saved. And then after salvation, he indwells us and he teaches us. I remember a guy that got saved under my ministry many years ago. Uh, he played in a, in a band and and they didn't live just a little ways from church. You had to drive from where we were at through the next county, and they were over in the next county. But when they got it, they didn't miss a service. I mean, they were driving a ways. And, I mean, this guy playing in a rock band, he has hair down to his waist and all this stuff, you know. And the third Sunday... The third Sunday, he got a haircut, and he come in a three-piece suit. Now, I'm not saying everybody gets saved wears a suit. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there was a radical change. And his aunt was there. I said, you've been talking to him? She says, I haven't said a thing. And you know what I believe? I believe God the Holy Spirit can teach you some stuff. 
And I, it may be a slower path with some people. But I'm telling you that God the Holy Spirit can take a person whose life is a mess and change them in, on the inside and it works out. It takes a person who's a drunk and makes them sober. And it takes money spent for alcohol and buys groceries and pays the rent and those kinds of things because God the Holy Spirit, when He comes in, He makes us new and He changes us and He teaches us and then He leads us. He leads us. And I'll tell you another thing He does, He chastens us. Uh, let me serve notice, God has a woodshed. If you've been saved long, you know that. God does have a woodshed. And one of the best ways to know that you're saved is when you do wrong. God disciplines us. Now, my wife and I, who's here with me today, uh, we have two daughters. And uh, there were a few times in which I didn't like their behavior and probably more times when my wife didn't like their behavior and she disciplined them. But there were times, you know, but, you know, I can't tell you that I was always perfect in my discipline. But I'm going to tell you God is. That was a time uh, I'd made a mistake as a parent. I'd have to apologize to my children because I'm human. But God, when he disciplines, I want to tell you, he's always right. And I'll tell you this, his motives are always pure because he loves us and God does want what's best for us. And because of that, he chastens us to bring us back into the right path so that we will do what we ought to do. And thank, thank God he comforts us. Sometimes in life we have to go through difficult times. Sometimes we have to stand beside the grave and say goodbye to a loved one. And I'll tell you, if you're saved, I believe God the Holy Spirit is present. Now, I'm not saying that losing a loved one doesn't hurt if you're saved. I'm saying that God gives grace and that he does comfort. And, and the sorrow of a Christian, I believe, is different than the sorrow of an unsaved person. He comforts us, and then he confirms the word of God. You know, I've, I've been around people who were unsaved who might read the Bible, and I've heard people come up with some of the most off-of-the-wall uh, interpretations of Scripture imaginable. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can illumine the Word. He can help us in our understanding of the Word. And so what Peter is telling us is that God the Father planned our salvation. Jesus Christ the Son paid for our salvation. And if you're saved today, God the Holy Spirit performed your salvation. He made you a new creature. And if you're not saved today, he will make you a new creature if you will open your heart to him. You see, God in eternity past, he planned for you to be saved. He made it possible. Jesus died that you could be saved. 
And if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart today, I trust that you'll open your heart to Him. It's not hard to be saved. We just have to be willing to confess and forsake our sins and open our heart to the Lord Jesus. There's not some uh, prayer you have to say exactly. You know what? It's just the attitude of the heart. And God knows our heart. Maybe, maybe you don't know how to pray, but I just believe if you'll open your heart and say, God, forgive me, and you'll mean it. Jesus Christ died to make that possible. He and the God, the Holy Spirit, will wash you clean. He'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. My, it's wonderful to be saved. Being saved doesn't make us perfect. It just makes us forgiven. It gives us a home in heaven at the end. You just look at the world today. It gets worse by the day. You aren't safe in your own homes nowadays. But there's a better place. And those of us who know the Lord Jesus, it's just around the corner. Just around the corner. And when Jesus comes or we leave this life in death, it's glory forever with the Lord Jesus. I'm glad I have that hope today. I'm glad, I, and you can have it too if you don't know the Lord. I just want to remind you again, God the Father planned your salvation. Jesus Christ paid for it. And the Holy Spirit, he will make you a new creature if you'll open your heart to him today. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you today for the great plan that you had in eternity past to choose us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray if there's someone today that you're speaking to, while it's on their mind, while the Holy Spirit is dealing with them, help them to open their heart and be saved this day. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.